Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Yesterday morning, I was at um, Northgate sitting in a bookstore, just killing a little time because my wife and Emily and uh, Tessa and the new baby, uh, Lewis, were uh, doing a little shopping. And so I'm sitting there, just quiet, kind of like a library, you know, reading a book. The new book on Bob Dylan I didn't want to buy, but I wanted to read, right? So I'm sitting there reading it. It's real quiet. There's four chairs around me. All of a sudden, my phone goes off. A big beep, you know, that's a message. And it's Gary Hansen. And Gary says, did you get your free donut today? <laughs> well, there's a story behind that free donut. Last, maybe June, I don't know when it was, we were sitting in our office, my office at staff meeting one day, and I opened up, and I were scheduling something in August, and I looked at my calendar, and I had on my calendar for yesterday, August 12th, I had donut written in there. And I said, hey, look at this, what is this donut in my calendar? And Gary says, I don't know, it's in my calendar too. <laughs> so he had it written in his calendar as well, donut, but he wasn't much help, you know, and what is this donut, what is this? And um, so he said, did you get your free donut today? And all of a sudden, something kind of jogged my memory. I said, forgot where? Is it at Northgate? He says, yes. I guess it doesn't start until noon. And I said, well, I'm actually there now at Northgate. Where is it? Gary says, I'll check. West entrance. We're here, too. So I went outside the west entrance, and I got there. And there's this, like, van type thing that had been towed there. They were getting things on. And the minute I saw it, it all came back. I knew exactly what it was because I saw on the van the name of my, my bank card company. I'm not going to tell you which one it is because I'm being recorded. And I want to be looking up my bank. What the hell I get? So my bank card company, you can ask Gary. I don't care about his bank account. Anyway, and it said, show your card and get your free donut today. And the minute I saw that. It all came back in detail. I remember sitting at home. I remember getting an email from my bank company. I remember it saying, we will be at Northgate at 12 o'clock on August 12th. We will be giving out free Top Pot donuts. Nice, yeah. And um, I, I, I remembered all the details and everything. It all came back to me. I remember where I was sitting when I did it. I remember typing it in my calendar. I remember putting down donut. That's thinking, I'll, I'll, of course, I'll remember all the details, right? You ever done that, like with your passwords, right? Oh, yeah. But as soon as I saw that, it all came back. And uh, I actually got two donuts because that was two per card. Gary brought both his card and his wife's card, so he got four donuts. <laughs> but I actually got four also because my wife came. So we got our free donuts. But isn't it amazing how something just... Can what we say trigger your memory? I'm sure that's not the scientific, right? But something just jogs your memory, something triggers your memory, something lights it up, and all these details come back. I mean, I sat there in my office. I had no idea what donut. All I can remember was something about Northgate. And, uh, of course, Gary, you know, he's always looking for something free, and so I can understand that. But I think Rachel... You know Gary, you know. And Rachel, I think, put it in the calendar, right? She's the one that put it in there. She knew all about it. All this stuff that's in our brains, it's amazing, really. The human, isn't it amazing when you think about it? How much stuff 
how much information is stored away in my brain that I don't even, and so, um, something triggers it, and boom, it's there. It all comes back. What's that? Especially mine, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. It's amazing. Things that, that just light up our memory. This morning, we're going to look at uh, another lesson from King Josiah, and we're going to talk about lighting up our memories. I'd like to ask you if you would uh, open your Bibles to Second Kings. And we read from Chronicles, and we're going to be in Kings and Chronicles once again. We're looking at the life of Josiah. And in, in the, the story of Josiah, uh, and as we go, as we go to, the, to the Word, let's, let's have a word of prayer first. Father, as we open your Word, we pray that our hearts will be attuned to your words. Uh, this is a privilege for us to come and to sing songs of worship, to listen to the Scriptures, to share together in fellowship. And it's our privilege to continue to worship by allowing your heart to enter our hearts and minds that we may store it up. Your word might we hide in our hearts that we might not sin against you. And so we give these next few moments to you. In Christ's name, amen. In Second Kings, chapter 23, in verse 21, the king gave this order to all the people. Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. Now, last week we began this, just a short series, just three weeks on, on the life of Josiah. And we, we looked at the, the background of King Josiah. Eight years old, he became king in Israel. His grandfather, Manasseh, was one of the worst possible sinful kings Israel had, the nation of Judah, except that toward the end he repented and God honored this. Uh, Josiah's father was a bad, horrible king of Israel, king of Judah. Josiah comes to the throne at eight years old and becomes king. And he probably had regents rule for him. And we saw these marks in his story of when he was eight years old. And in Chronicles tells us, then he became 16 years old. And God, and it became put in his heart to, to follow his God. We don't know, we don't know how, we don't know why. I don't, I don't know if his, you know, his mother's name is mentioned, if his mother, who did God use to, to take this, this boy in a, who, was, who, was, who was royalty, a son of David, and, and change his heart when he had this horrible background, this lineage, except for Hezekiah, his, his, his descendant as well, who was the last great king of Israel, very good king. Who, who did God use? Who did God use to... To, to, to somehow this, this young man's heart at 16. And then we saw at, at age 20, and he began to, when he became probably fully king and ruled without the regents, most likely, is when he began to expel all the idolatry. You know, we sang the psalm today from Psalm 121. It's one of my favorite psalms. It's one of the psalms I find myself using more, more often with people as, as we visit and so forth, especially in times of challenge and difficulty. Where, where he says, I look into the hills. Where does my hope come from? My hope comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And at first we might look at that and say, I look to the mountains, I look to the hills where God is represented, where my hope comes from. But I think it's better understood. I look to the hills. Where does my hope come from? Because you see on the hills, on the high places, is where all the pagan altars were built. You always built the altars on the high places. Up high. 
That's where you built the temples and the idols. You, you, you put them up high to go and it went up the hill. Corinth. You visit Corinth and you sit in the city and you look up the top of the hill and there's the temple where we, where we have records in, in Greek history of the, of them going up to worship with the prostitutes in the temple uh, nightly and the torches lighting going up the hill. The psalmist says, I look to the hills, but where does my help come from? My hope comes not from the hills, but from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. He went to the hills and he took down all the idols. He smashed all the foreign gods. He cleared out the land. And it says in verse 19 of chapter 23, just before this, about the Passover, just as he had done at Beth El, Josiah removed and defiled all the shrines of the high places that the kings of Israel had built up in the towns of Samaria that had provoked the Lord to anger. So we saw last week how Josiah destroyed all this idolatry. And the end result, when all is said and done, we read in 2 Kings that, 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 and Chronicles, we read this, As long as he lived, they, that is Israel, did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their fathers. Very few people just said of it in the Old Testament. As long as he lived, they followed the God of their fathers. It says that of Joshua. It says Joshua that when Joshua died, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the elders that outlived Joshua. And we saw this last week as we considered Hezekiah, I mean Josiah, we did, we, and we read this about him, that, that he, was the, he, was, he was the man who loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his strength. An amazing king. And so we come to the account today. So he's reformed the nation of Israel technically. He's got rid of the idols. He has rebuilt and re- refurbished, not so much rebuilt, but refurbished the temple. They have gone in the temple and they brought out the book of the law, which people had lost track of, the word of God. Blew the dust off it and read it. And when he heard it, his heart was broken before God and he repented and he confessed his sins and he wept and he called all the nation with him. And now what do you do to involve the nation to make a change in this people? What do you do now? What do you do? And Josiah, the wise king that he was at 26 years old, he begins to prepare them to celebrate the Passover. The Passover now, we need to go back to a couple of Old Testament passages. You're, you're familiar with Passover a little bit. I'm sure when you go grocery shopping in March, April, you'll see the section of kosher foods, right? You'll see the, you know, the various things that are used for Passover. You're aware that in the spring, about the same time we celebrate Easter, generally not always exactly the same, is the Passover. Because it was on Passover that Jesus the week in the Passover that he offered himself as, as a sacrifice. You may have Jewish friends or relatives that, that celebrate Passover in their homes. And they celebrate, as we do Christmas and Easter, they celebrate a dinner and they celebrate uh, Passover together. It goes back to a couple passages. We'll go back to Exodus chapter 12. If you go back in your Bibles just for a moment. To Exodus chapter 12. On the ends of the pews, we do have Bibles if uh, you don't have one and don't have one on your phone or something, you want to use one that we have on each of the pews, and you're welcome to take those home if you'd like, or you know somebody who would like a Bible, uh, you're welcome to use those and we'll replace them. Uh, we want to make sure you have a Bible. Chapter 12 of Exodus, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month. This is springtime. Abib, 
or Nisan. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute, I thought Rosh Hashanah was in the fall. Well, there's kind of two New Year's, okay? Um, this, is the, this is the beginning of the story, and there's also in the fall the, the High Holy Days, which is also a New Year. Rosh Hashanah, first of the months. This is the first of the month of the year year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Verse 5, the animals you choose must be one-year-old males without defect. You may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel, all the people of the community of Israel, must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood, put it on the sides and tops of the door frames, the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat, roasted, eat the, eat the meat as well after the blood's been spread, over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. And that's because there was no time to wait for the yeast, the bread to rise. God is saying, when it's time to go, you got to leave. And they ate this meal standing up, their shoes on, their staff in their hand. They were ready to go because this was the night of the Lord's Passover. Verse 12, on that night, I will pass through Egypt. I will pass through Egypt. And I will strike down every firstborn, both men and animal. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over, pass over. I will pass over you and no destructive plague will come to you. This is a day that you are to commemorate as a lasting ordinance. And then they are told, they are told, listen, you do this because in the days to come, when your children ask you, why are we doing this? You are to do this every year. And when your children ask you, why are we doing this? You tell them. You remind us to jog your memory. It's to remind you. It's to light up your memories. To tell them the story. To tell them the story of our salvation. This was the epical salvation event in Israel's history. The firstborn of Egypt was killed that night by the angel of death for their sinfulness, for their, their treatment, their sinfulness of God's people. Pharaoh's refusal to allow God to take his people out of the land. But the firstborn of Israel was saved. Firstborn sons here? I'm a secondborn son. My brother Dick would be the firstborn son. You would have died that night. If you're the oldest boy in your family, you would have died that night if the blood was not on your doorpost. And that's why in Israel, even today, and even in Israel today, as they, some of the songs from their celebrated, Manishtanah, Manishtanah, Halai Lahaze, Mikol, Halilat Shebeat, Kol, Halilat Anu, Ochlin, Kemetz, Omatzah. Why? How? How different is this night? Ma Nishtana. How different is this night? It's sung. It's said on that night as they gather for Passover. How different is this night from all other nights? On all other nights, we do not dip our herbs even once. Why on this night we dip them twice? All other nights, we eat leavened or unleavened bread. Why on this night, only unleavened? All other nights, we eat herbs of any kind. On this night, why only bitter herbs? And all other nights we eat and drink, either sitting or reclining. Why on this night do we all recline? It's the question that's asked 
is asked by the oldest, the oldest son in the family, why on this night? Ha Mishnah, why on this night? What's different? Israel, this is what's different. This is the night that God redeemed you. And so the next, the next teaching, you have this in Exodus 12 and Exodus 13, and then you go to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Now remember, Josiah found the law. The priests found the law. They read it to him. He heard it. His heart was broken. His heart was confessed before God their sins. And in Deuteronomy chapter 16, the last book of Moses, where he recounts the law, Deuteronomy, second reading of the law, Deuteronomy. And he says this in the Passover. And we get a little more detail. Now, this is, be- this is before they enter the promised land. They now have the tabernacle. They are about to go into their new home, their promised land. They're on the other side of the Jordan River. And he tells them this. Observe the month of Abib, Nisan. Celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God, because in the month of Abib he brought you out of Egypt by night. Sacrifice as the Passover to the Lord your God an animal from your flock or herd. Now I want you to notice. At the place the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. Do not eat it with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, because you left Egypt in haste. So all the days of your life, you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. Then I want you to notice verse 5. You must not, you must not sacrifice the Passover in any town of the Lord your God gives you, except... In the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you must sacrifice the Passover in the evening when the sun goes down on the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. You see, today, when Passover is celebrated, we think of it in terms of a, of a family holiday. Like Easter. You know, we come to church, we go home and we have our family dinners. But it is expressly said... The animals for Passover could only be sacrificed at one place. And that one place was where? It was where God's Holy of Holies was. It was the tabernacle at the time Moses wrote this. And that tabernacle moved. It settled down in Israel. And eventually, the place was Jerusalem, where the temple was built. This is the place. And this is the only place where you could sacrifice the Passover animal. Afterward, you ate it in your family units. This is why on, on, when Jesus came to Jerusalem for Passover with his disciples, he said, go prepare a place. Go find the upper room where we ended up. But somebody, maybe Jesus, went to the temple, brought the lamb that they had purchased, and presented it for a sacrifice. And then after it was sacrificed and the blood was shed and it was brought back, then they could eat it at their place. But only at the temple could it be sacrificed. That was the only place. No other place. And so we see what Josiah does in Second Chronicles. I want you to go to Second Chronicles now as we get the details of this Passover and why he is doing this. Why is this so important? If you notice the scripture that Lauren read this morning, it said... No Passover had been sacrificed like this since the times of Samuel. That means the celebration of Josiah's Passover was so special 
It was the finest Passover celebration going clear back to Samuel, which meant it went past David, Solomon, Hezekiah, all of them. This was the finest. This was the most special. This was the greatest of the Passovers. And we get the details of this Passover celebration in Second Chronicles chapter 35. And I want you to look at this. Josiah celebrated the Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, verse 1. And the Passover lamb was slaughtered on the 14th day of the first month. He appointed the priests to their duties, encouraged them in the service of the Lord's temple. He said to the Levites, who instructed all Israel, who had been consecrated to the Lord, put the sacred ark in the temple that Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, built. It is not to be carried about on your shoulders. Serve the Lord your God and the people of Israel. Serve his people Israel. Prepare yourselves by families, your divisions. So all the details are made out. Now look at verse 5. Stand in a holy place with a group of Levites for each subdivision of the families of your people, the lay people. Slaughter the Passover lambs. Consecrate yourselves. Prepare the lambs for your fellow countrymen, doing what the Lord commanded through Moses. Josiah provided for all the lay people who were there a total, now, if you can do math in your head, I'll help you out in a second here. 30,000 sheep and goats for the Passover offerings, 3,000 cattle, all from the king's own possessions. This was Josiah's stuff. This was Josiah's wealth. Your wealth was measured in your animals. His officials also contributed voluntarily to the people and the priests, the Levites, Hilkiah, Zechariah, Jehiel, the administrators of God's temple, gave the priests 2,600 Passover offerings, 300 cattle. And then the leaders of the Levites, so notice in verse 9, provided 5,000 Passover offerings, 500 head of cattle, the Levites. Now, in case you didn't do the math in your head, okay, that is 37,600 lambs or goats, 3,800 cattle. That means 41,400 animals were sacrificed on that one day at the temple. In Jerusalem. Now some of us were there not too long ago. We looked out over the temple grounds where the Dome of the Rock stands today. It's not that big of an area. The old city of Jerusalem is like walking around Green Lake. The temple is just one part of it. Over 41,000 animals were slaughtered. Verse 10, the service was arranged. The priest, and I, I, I say, why are you reading all these gory details? Well, it's important, okay. The priests stood in their places with the Levites and their divisions, as the king ordered. The Passover lambs were slaughtered, and the priests sprinkled the blood hand of them while the Levites skinned the animals. One of the commentators said, basically, the temple was turned into a slaughterhouse. I mean, think of it. You know, I've never killed an I've never slaughtered or dressed an animal. Some of you have done that. I've cleaned fish. <laughs> I've cleaned a salmon about this big. And what a mess. You're <laughs> with you, Mark. What a mess. 
And if you're Jerry Johnson, it's one thing, you know, and you got it done, you know. But for the rest of us, it's like, man, I'm going to go buy at the store maybe. It might be easier, but it was fun. fishing. I had a student in one of the classes I taught for GBC online in their online class, in the Redemption of the Old Testament. We were studying this, some of this stuff, Passover, and he, and he said, he wrote to everybody and said, you know, the question I have is, who cleaned up the temple? I used to work, work in a butcher shop, and I know what a mess it makes. Can you imagine that? Slaughtering, dressing, skinning, 41,000 animals. And the blood being poured out, all of them, every one of them, the blood had to be poured out as an offering to God, and then the rest could go home and eat. Now, now we might think, wow, that's awfully gruesome. Man, that's too... But come on. You know, I go to the store and buy my meat, right? It's, it's either in a glass case or in packages. It's all done. It's all clean. looks good. But somebody had to slaughter that meat. They think that maybe 300,000 people lived in Judea at this time. You had to sacrifice at Jerusalem. It was the only place. If 300,000 people in Seattle, Puget Sound, gathered in one spot to have a barbecue, and somebody had to slaughter all those animals for us to eat, that's what we're talking about. It's, it's, somebody does it, right? Somebody does it. They had to do this. And they dressed it. And then I want you to notice what they did in verse 13. They, that is the priests and Levites, roasted the Passover animals over the fire as prescribed, boiled the holy offerings in pots, cauldrons, and pans, and they served them quickly to all the people. They served thousands and thousands and thousands of people from this sacrifice in Jerusalem where the temple was turned into a slaughterhouse. Slaughterhouse. Think of the Chicago stockyards back in the heyday. Slaughterhouse. And then they celebrated for a week. Friends, this is the Passover that is being celebrated by Josiah. Why? Why is this so important? Why is this so critical? Why is this so important? It says no other Passover, Lauren read to us, has been celebrated since the time of Samuel the prophet. Why was this so important? You see, Josiah had enough spiritual sense. He had enough spiritual sense to realize he needs the people need to be part of this. He has changed his life. He has changed his heart. He is he is confessed his sins, but the nation, he's the leader of the nation. The people need to be part of this. And what other way, what better way than to light up their memories as to why they're even the people of God? Why was it not practiced? Why does it appear in Chronicles and Kings that the Passover was neglected generation after generation, after generation, all of a sudden Hezekiah comes along and says, we'll celebrate the Passover. Josiah comes. Why was it neglected? Well, look what's involved with it. Think of the details. Think of the cost for the king himself. 
Think of, the, of, of all that's involved and how easy it would be to say, we don't need to do this. You, you go home and do it. And eventually you go home and do it, and you do it just like you do to all the other gods around you in the high places, looking to the hills. You just go home and do it. We don't, need, we don't need to be together to do this. This is way too much. This is costly. This is, this is a sacrifice. It's too much blood. Just go home and do this. And pretty soon Yahweh is just like one of the other gods on the hill places around Samaria and Judea. But Josiah was different. He knew. Why is this night different from all others? We need to light up our memories. And we need to go back to where we started. We need to share this communion, this communal bread and communal cup and communal lamb together. It was expensive. It was bloody. It was redemption. The symbolism was important. And if you were the firstborn in a family, especially for you, the symbolism was important. You belonged to God. Because God redeemed you with the blood of the Lamb. He knew the importance of this. Now I want to apply just a couple of things before we go home this morning. What was so important about, why was this so critical? What, is, what does this have to do with us today? Well, I think there's some lessons. The Apostle Paul says, all scripture is written for our benefit, including Chronicles and Kings. Number one, sacrifice. Sacrifice is important. You, you know, King David, when he, when he was in the midst of that critical time when Israel was being destroyed and he needed to sacrifice and he went to the Arana and he said, let me buy this stuff. And he, and he says, no, take it. You're the king. And David says, no, no, I won't sacrifice to God. That would cost me nothing. There's a reason it's called Sacrifice. And God has called us today to sacrifice. You didn't bring the lamb that was going to die anyway. That was not acceptable. Why? That is not a sacrifice. It does not cost you anything. You brought the lamb that was the absolute most valuable and expensive animal you had in faith that God would provide. It was a sacrifice. And friends, we are called to sacrifice today, not for our salvation. We don't earn our salvation. We are called to sacrifice. Have we sacrificed? Do we sacrifice for the Lord? Do we give up? Do we give him our best or do we give him what's left over? You know, when it comes to tithe and giving and we don't, you know, God's blessed us and, and there's a good attitude at this church. But it, it's simple. God gets the first and God gets the best. And, and we all know from experience. I know from experience. I know this. I give my wife credit and our family for, for being more disciplined on this years ago when it was easy to, to not do it because she saw her dad do it. <laughs> and that is, if you wait to give God what's left over, guess what? There's nothing left over. It's never there, is it? Right? It's never there. And that applies to your time, too. You give God what's left over, it's never there. Sacrifice is important. Secondly, memorial. We need to have our memories lit up every so often. 
There is some value in symbolism. Yes, there's a fine line between symbolism and and, and becoming a a focus of worship. But there is some value in things in our lives that are there to remind us, to remind us of our story, but more importantly, God's story, your family's story. We've had some funerals this summer. We've been reminded of our stories. Today is my mother's 100th birthday. 1917. Trainer's birthday too today. 100 years old she would have been today. We have stories. It's good to be reminded of our stories. And that was the point. Tell them. When your children ask you, tell them. Don't forget to tell them. It was bloody. It was costly. It was redemption. And finally, this is very important. This is very important. Sacrifice. Memorial symbolism. Remember, there are things we need to do to remind ourselves. And this is very important. And that is, Josiah understood the importance of the community doing this together. He could have sent them home and said, look, this year it's not the right year. We can't do this, but you go home and worship. Friends, we live in an era. We live in an era where Christian leaders that I have respected and read have doubts about the value of the church gathering anymore. I've read it. I mean, I, you know, the idea that the church is so imperfect, it's, it's, it's so hopeless a situation that it's, it's no longer valid. You can do this on your own. You can do this in your family. You can get together with a few friends during the week. Yes, you can. I understand that. And there's value in that, of course. But listen, friends, for over 2,000 years, church has been here with all of its imperfections, why is the church imperfect? Why is this church imperfect? Because you and I are imperfect. But there's something important about the community of faith being together. Listen, friends, you don't have to come on Sundays. We don't have to be here. But there's something really valuable in us being together. Singing these songs. Reading these scriptures. Shaking hands, remembering the cross. Josiah knew this. He knew how important this was if if they were going to change and if this nation was going to change. He knew how important it was that they did it together. Who needs the church? I loved an article written in Christianity Today where somebody responded to that and he wrote the title, Who Needs the Church? We do. Listen, friends, we don't want to abandon it. I encourage you not to be casual about it. Be part of the solution. In Luke chapter 2, I'll close with this. Luke chapter 2, our Lord Jesus Christ. We read this at Christmas time, the story from Luke. <clears throat> Let me read to you in Luke chapter 2. Every year, Jesus, his young boy, every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. 
And you know what happened? They go home without Jesus. Okay? That's a whole other sermon. Been there, done that, right? Halfway home. You got Jeff? No? You got Jeff? No? I thought he was in your car. And Jeff's at church, right? <laughs> Have you ever done that? We've done that one time. <clears throat> Listen. Jesus went to Jerusalem for Passover with his family. And according to his historians, it appears there were over 250,000 people crammed into that little area the size of Green Lake for Passover. And Jesus witnessed these thousands and thousands and thousands of lambs and goats being slaughtered to the point that the blood ran out of Jerusalem like a river, they, they say. And he stood there and watched that. He stood there and watched that, 12 years old. And he stayed behind to talk theology with the rabbis and scribes. And I wonder what kind of impression on his heart, on his life, knowing why he came. That there would be one more sacrifice. It wouldn't be hundreds of thousands, but it would be across the Calvary. And this is why. This is why. We never apologize. We will never quit speaking of the blood of Jesus Christ. It is by the blood of Christ that we have been redeemed. I'm saved because of the blood of Christ. He was the Lamb of God. And he went to the cross. And he put an end to all those blood sacrifices because it was only his blood, whether you like it or not, it's only his blood that can cover and atone for my sins and bring me sinless before God. So friends, we will never stop talking about the cross, about the blood, about our story. It's good to light up our memories. It's good to be here today. It's good to sing, it is well with my soul. It is good to read the 121st and sing that psalm. It is good for us to be here and to remember, to remember. We're going to finish our story of Josiah. It's kind of a sad ending and raises some questions about why God does things the way he does. And we're going to talk about that next Sunday. So if you can be here. Uh, join us. Good to have Bill and Nancy Rigg with us today, Salt Ministries, and continue to pray for your ministry, Bill and Nancy. And uh, thank you all for coming today. Lord bless you, and let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you do love us. We thank you. We do thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. That horrible, horrible, brutal death that He suffered on the cross of Calvary to bring us salvation. Lord, we have, we have brothers and sisters around the world today. They don't ask who needs the church. I know that because they get together with great danger. I have pastors, fellow pastors who are in prison today who may not ever come out because they dare to teach your word. They don't ask who needs the church. They know who needs the church. And Father, we need each other. We need to be reminded. Most of all, we need you. We need you the forefront of our hearts and our minds this week. May we think about you. May we worship you. May we praise you. 
as we see that Josiah, among everything else, we'll read in Chronicles, that he put the singers and the choir leaders in their places as well. Because it was not only a time of sacrifice, it was a time of worship. May we leave with you today and represent you well in all that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.